So check it out. This week I'm hosting two free webinars, January 24th, January 25th. I'm gonna teach you my five-step framework for marketing your restaurant the right way. Yes, if there's a right way, that means there is a wrong way. Space is limited. We're capping each day at 100 people. It's totally free, but go ahead and sign up now. The link is in the show notes. Pause the recording, go do that, and then come back, because I'm sitting down with Deuce Raymond. He is uh, the managing partner of a little brand you might have heard of called Baby Ray's Barbecue. Uh, he runs the restaurant and the catering division. Tons of insights on today's episode. Don't go anywhere. There's an old saying that goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy, a podcast with answers for anyone who's looking. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Chip Close, and this is Restaurant Strategy, a weekly podcast dedicated entirely to the hospitality industry. We cover marketing, operations, everything in between. Each week, I leverage my 20-plus years in the industry to help you build a more profitable and sustainable business. I also work directly with operators all over the world through my group coaching programs to address and overcome the specific challenges we face in our industry. Curious to learn more? Set up a free 45-minute strategy session at restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. Let me show you how simple it can be to run a profitable restaurant. Again, restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. As always, you'll find that link in the show notes. Now, we all know managing costs is one of the most important parts of running a profitable restaurant, especially now. But between fluctuating vendor prices, waste, labor, and the never-ending list of tasks that demand your attention on a daily basis, it can be challenging for even the most experienced of us to manage costs well. That's where Margin Edge comes in. Margin Edge is a complete restaurant management software that automatically uses data from your POS and invoices to show you your food and labor costs in real time. Don't wait until it's too late. Margin Edge gives you tools to make decisions in the moment, like a daily P&L, price alerts on key ingredients, and real time plate costs, all without ever having to touch a spreadsheet. Take control of your costs, work more efficiently, and be more profitable. Learn more at marginedge.com slash chip. As always, that link is in the show notes. So my guest on today's show is a gentleman named Deuce Raymond. He is managing partner of a little brand you might have heard of. It's called Sweet Baby Ray's uh, Restaurant and Catering. We're going to get into so much over the course of this next hour. Deuce, welcome to the show. Awesome, Chip. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. My pleasure. We were introduced uh, a couple of weeks back uh, through a mutual friend of ours, uh, a guy who's appeared on this podcast not once but twice, uh, Sean Walsh. <laughs> so you're part of like the uh, the barbecue brotherhood. Absolutely. It doesn't surprise me that Sean has been on the show twice. He he's uh, uh, very much an inspiration to me. We we met a few years back at the National Barbecue Convention in Texas, yeah. and. Uh, became quick friends. I mean, we have see a lot of the same direction of the business and he keeps me going with my social media um, prowess, if you will. And uh, he's very much an yeah. inspiration to what I'm doing right now. And uh, 
I can't say enough enough nice words about Sean. You know, and as uh, as talented as he is, as um, as smart as he is, he is just that nice. He has been, um, he's become a real a friend and colleague over the last couple of years. We've only known each other, I guess, for like two years now. And we've shared the stage a couple of times together at different conferences. Mm-hmm. We've, I've been on his podcast. He's been on this podcast. And um, he's just someone, to, to your point, uh, that I am continually learning from. And he has also challenged me, I'm sure, in the same sort of ways that he's challenged <laughs> you with social media. Because that's what he does. He yes. travels around the world challenging people to turn on their phones the answer is yes every time with him the answer is yes yeah (laughs) you can't say no to that guy he's uh you just don't say no um but i'm really glad he connected uh the two of us and when we got on the phone together i don't think either of us really sort of knew where the conversation was going to go which is often the best time uh, the, the best kind of conversations and over the course of i guess 45 minutes or so we were just we had already mapped out sort of future conversations and we had gotten uh, um, this interview uh, on the books so I'm so glad you made time I appreciate it Um, you uh, are uh, sort of the shepherd of a very very famous brand Mm -hmm. uh, Sweet Baby Ray's people listening to this show if you don't know uh, the uh, if you don't know the restaurant, if you don't know the, the catering business, which we are going to get to, uh, you for sure have seen this barbecue sauce in supermarkets all over the world. It's an iconic look. You can stop, pull over to the side of the road, and Google. You will recognize this label. Talk to me about the brand, how it grew, where it's at now, when you intersected with it, mm-hmm. and sort of what you've been doing. G- give us the give the audience sort of context for what Sweet Baby Ray's is. Sure. So Sweet Baby Ray's was started in the early 80s by my dad and my uncle. My dad's the chef that actually created the recipe for Sweet Baby Ray's, and then his brother, Dave Raymond, ran the business with a business partner, Mike O'Brien. And they started by entering into a rib contest, believe it or not and at the time it was like the nation's largest rib contest it was a michael bryan uh hosted by the chicago tribune and sorry i said michael bryan it was the mike Ryko rib fest <laughs> in the early yep, 80s gotcha. and mike Ryko was a columnist in for the chicago tribune and they held this massive rib contest and if you talk to some of the uh, older barbecue guys in the scene, like Ray Lampy from uh, Dr. Barbecue and Dave yeah. Anderson from Famous Dave's, those guys were all there. And and then a million other people. I mean, it was just, it's crazy if you look up some of the footage on YouTube to see some of these yeah. old rigs, and these guys were just having a blast. And I mean, it, it's so 80s when you watch it. It's so funny. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> but my dad it was a chef by training. He um, So they, they cooked ribs, they used their sauce, and they ended up winning second place out of 700 contestants. And my uncle Whoa. basically quit his job and started marketing, you know, selling the sauce. They came up with a plan. How they tell the story, it was $2,000, barely a high school education and a dream. And they took that and grew it to a $33 million brand in 20 years. And then they sold to Ken's Foods. Um, When they sold, we retained the rights to use the name for restaurants. And that's what we're doing today. Uh In the last 20 years, Ken's has taken that $33 million brand and grown it to north of $800 million. They sell more barbecue sauce in the country than all the other sauces combined. It's really, they have a 50.1% 
5% of the market, which is unheard of. That's more than Coke has in soda. That's more than Hellman has in mayonnaise. It's just it's just an unbelievable story. It gets get, gives me tingles every time I tell the story. And and my my dad, bless his soul, passed away last year. And we just got all the old memorabilia out and saw all the old uh, pictures and everything. And it's just yeah, it's just one of those. It's a it's American dream story. I mean, it it, it they did that all pre internet, of course. I mean, just knocking on doors yeah. and to get started and. I mean, our family. Yeah, it's it's. Go ahead. Yeah, no. It's, I mean, it's, it's it is like a totally different world. I mean, the way that mm-hmm. food service and the way that CPG worked back then is different. I and mean, certainly, people listening to this will recognize just uh, how different and difficult it is. Um, and yet, we've got things at our disposal to make it easier to to get things in the hands of people all across the country. Yeah. Um, it, it's just it's different. I, I can imagine it back then. Right. So. Um, I'm very blessed to be in the position I am in. I was always interested in food as a kid, and my dad was a chef. I, you know, grew up working in restaurants, dishwashing, busting tables, started cooking on the line, and and then I kind of realized that maybe I don't want to do this because it's a lot of hard work and everything. So yeah, so uh, I went to regular like community college for a year. That really wasn't for me, <laughs> and so then yeah. I then I <laughs> then I continued to kind of. Uh, find myself. I moved out to Utah for a year with some buddies and, and started working at a California cuisine kitchen out there. And uh, it was during the 2002 Winter Olympics where I really realized my passion for food. I just loved the stuff we were doing out there and came back to Chicago, started going to Kendall College. And that's when I started living with my uncle Dave. He was retired from the sauce business and I was going to culinary school and kind of twisting his arm. I said, we should open a restaurant knowing that when they had sold, they retained the rights to use the name for restaurants and catering. Yeah. So, so I yeah. finally twisted his arm hard enough, and we opened our first uh, Sweet Bay Ray's restaurant in 2005, and kind of been slowly growing ever since. So that's interesting. So I was gonna. So there's so many questions. <laughs> first thing I want to say is what's really interesting, and your story is you not not unique in this respect. Is that you grew up around food, mm-hmm. you ran away from food really hard, mm-hmm. and sort of took the long way around to come all the way back to food. It's not dissimilar to Sean. Sean grew up in uh, his grandfather's restaurant. The restaurant that he now owns uh, was a very different kind of restaurant when he grew up sort of washing dishes and bussing tables there as a kid. And he tried to do just about anything but. And that's not me saying it. That's that's how he says it. And he sort of came back to it, you know, you know, kicking and screaming. They sort of dragged him back into it. To know that about Sean um, is interesting to me, given how passionate um, and generous he is uh, in the industry mm-hmm. around that. It's not dissimilar to to my impression, just in these few conversations that I've had with you, that like just how sort of warm and open and generous and passionate you are about it. So I find that really, really interesting. And I'm guessing that, um, that there are a lot of people listening who sort of have that... Um, have that in common and, and I'm endlessly fascinated in sort of the trajectory that people go through you know how they, they always say right you can't connect the dots moving forward it's only when you look back mm-hmm. you can see how everything got you to the place you were you were at now or the place you were yeah. you were meant to be I want to go back all of that's a long way of, of helping us go here 
So your dad was a chef by training, mm -hmm. came up with this sauce, entered a rib contest, mm -hmm. but didn't have a restaurant of his own, didn't have a barbecue restaurant of his own at that time? No. So they were really not experienced in like authentic barbecue, like how, how we do things here today and how they do it down in Texas and things like that. But my dad was a chef. I mean, he was a hardcore chef, uh, you know kind of gruff made servers cry if they messed up like he was just kind of like a you know old school chef and my uncle yep. wanted to enter this rib contest because he was kind of like challenged by some guys i kind of forget that part of the story but he was like challenged to enter this rib contest my uncle asked my dad to come up with a sauce for this contest and they came up with this method of cooking ribs on a Weber grill. I, I made a video on it actually on YouTube where they have the briquettes on the side and they cook the ribs standing up on rib racks and then they brush the yeah. sauce on at the end. And that's how I grew up eating ribs. And it really, uh, it brings me back my childhood. Anytime we make the ribs like that, it's just such a unique flavor with the charcoal, you know? So they did this as a bet, as a, as a pissing contest, as a, let's just, let's see if we can mm -hmm. show, show them up. But all that time, so then they grew this brand, grew it, grew it, grew it, sold it, and it becomes what it's going to be. Yep. You guys, so they had the presence of mind though, and this is really interesting. They had the presence of mind to retain the name should they want to open a restaurant or or do catering mm -hmm. at some point but that wasn't part of the business plan at the time which i don't think i realized that when you and i first started talking no i mean it really wasn't my dad was kind of like a fine dining chef when he was in wasa wisconsin where i grew up he ran the wasa club which was all the you know the wealthy people in the city we grew up in and then he went on to own his own restaurant on a country club. Again, more of like a supper tub, kind of, kind of like a higher-end supper club feel to it. And yep. that's where I got my a lot of my experience and my training before I went to culinary school. It was... So uh, interesting. Yes. Yeah, so, and I, I mean... I'm not tooting my own horn, but I knew a lot more than the average kid when I went to culinary school. And that almost hurt me in a way because the chefs wanted me to do it their way, not the way I learned yeah. already, which was cool. I mean, I will not give that experience up for anything. I learned so much at culinary school and built so many great relationships. I met my wife there that now we have three kids and everything like that. So it's, it was a awesome, awesome experience. And, um, I forgot where I was going with that story, yeah. but <laughs> no, we're, we're, this is my fault because I'm, I'm bouncing a little bit all over. Cause already the stuff you've said is, is so interesting. I told, I told you before we hit record, I said, this ends up being sort of a, a meandering conversation more than anything else, even though mm -hmm. it's an interview. Um, and I've said this on, on this show before, um, mm -hmm. when I started this show, when I started this podcast almost four years ago, I swore that I wasn't going to do any interviews because I just thought, you, you know, the internet doesn't need any more interviews. Well, oh, and then no. I was wrong because I was meeting really interesting people. I, I knew a lot of interesting people. I was constantly being introduced to interesting people. Uh, and I thought those people like you um, had value to provide the audience. And so I've very mm -hmm. much been proven wrong. Um, the audience uh, does like these interviews. I think they get a lot out of the interviews. I'm constantly hearing from people, you know, thanking me for, for doing interviews and all of that. But... Uh, I'm still not going to do it uh, any other way except the way I want to do it. And I just think it ends up being a cool conversation if I get um, really smart, interesting, passionate people on the show and we just sort of talk about what we're 
dealing with, what we're struggling with, what we've succeeded with. I think people are going to get value out of that. So it's my fault. Um, I've let it meander uh, because <laughs> you've said things that I just I wanted to talk about all of the things all at once. You opened a restaurant. So you came mm -hmm. back and you said, hey, I'm going to do this. We retain the rights. It's tell, Talk to me about that decision. You said, hey, it's about time we do this, or, or, or what went into that? So I was still in culinary school and living at my uncle's house, and I really wanted to do it. Like I was in school, and I wanted to start the career, and my uncle kind of realized like he was retired because of the money they got from the sauce business, but everybody else was still working. All his friends and, you know, associates yeah, yeah. Were, were still working. So he wanted something to do, too. So we went in into it as partners. And, you know, I was still young. I knew stuff about food, but I didn't really know a lot about business. He knew about the sauce retail business, but not about restaurants. We brought hmm. on an executive chef from a place I did at my internship at Heaven on Seven in Chicago. It's a well-known Cajun brand. Um, who the owner actually has a connection with our family too is uh, Jimmy Banos, and he went to culinary school with my dad, and that's where I did my internship. Oh, too funny! So we brought an executive chef from Heaven on Seven, Paul Papadopoulos, and then we just started. We started writing the menus. We found the location, um, and we picked the wrong location we're still in the same wrong location <laughs> but but uh it's you know there's a lot that went into it we had way too much stuff on the menu when we opened you could argue we still have too much stuff on the menu but it's a lot less like we had some cajun items a lot of of course it was barbecue focused but we had you know 14 different sandwiches when you only need three sandwiches at a barbecue yeah. restaurant and you know so we learned so much we lost so much money in the beginning and we continue to learn and streamline and and things like that and you know one of the best learning experiences was the pandemic i mean it really was in yeah. a lot of different ways it I, it pushed me to get a better pos system sean says i picked the wrong one because it's not toast we you went with clover because they had a better <laughs> deal at the time and right. um we got fully integrated with all of the third-party uber eats grubhub doordash but you know we use um it's called it's a checkmate it's kind of like you probably heard of yeah. otter same thing yeah it's an aggregation software yeah right? and we streamlined our menu i mean we had you know not just baby back ribs but st louis ribs and rib tips so we got rid of the st louis ribs which is a big deal for us you know because people come here for ribs but most of the people 80 percent pick baby back ribs because chicago's a baby back town and it's you know it's it just has helped so much streamlining the menu i, I can't yeah. stress that enough to people that is how if we opened up with pulled pork only, that's the only thing we, we had on our menu, we would be more successful today than if we had all the other stuff. So I want to get I want to get I want to get into this because I totally agree. I was just working with a client earlier today mm -hmm. and we took their menu from about 18 items to I think six is where we're at now. I said, I want you to cut so deep it hurts and you have to make really hard choices. I, I do these thought experiments with my clients. I say, hey, listen, it costs us nothing to wander down this avenue. And if we find it's a dead end, all we gotta do is turn back around and come back to the main road, mm -hmm. right? But it's a thought experiment, let's wander down the road. 
You said a lot of really interesting things, and I don't want to let you off the hook because I think there's a lot of learning here. It seems like you've learned a lot, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think there's probably some wisdom we can pass on to the to the audience. So you said we opened up with the wrong menu, way too much, and you opened up in the wrong location. You're still mm-hmm. in the wrong location, mm-hmm. but you're succeeding because you're here now, mm-hmm. some almost twenty years later. So right. I, I want to understand what you mean by wrong menu, wrong location, Mm -hmm. and how you still are doing okay. Mm -hmm. And I want to also make sure that the the people understand um, that we say Sweet Baby Ray's restaurant and catering, the Mm -hmm. catering is a significant Mm -hmm. portion of your annual revenue, which we talk about learnings during the pandemic. Um, Not that you learned it then. I think you had this already optimized by then. Mm -hmm. One of the things we learned during the pandemic is that if you made your money one way, um, you were pretty much sunk, right? Right. Meaning if you made your money when people came in, ate, paid you, and left, and the government shut us down, you couldn't make your money that way uh, anymore. You were sort of screwed. And I think there's uh, one of the things I was talking about on this podcast long before the pandemic was the importance of diversified revenue streams, Mm -hmm. understanding that you've got um, you've got in-person dining, you've got takeout and delivery, you've got third person takeout and delivery, you've got um, uh, private dining, you've got offsite catering, you've got a CPG, you, you know, retail merchandise, you've got cooking classes and bake at home kits and all the different ways that you can make money and you might have one that brings in a significant portion of your revenue but there's an importance for doing all this so i want to make sure we're eventually going to get to talking about your catering how you discovered that how you grew that where Mm -hmm. it's at now but again go back to the beginning wrong menu wrong location why do you say that well i mean we picked a restaurant that was close to my uncle's house (laughs) <laughs> and it was small <laughs> enough. I mean, it was on Irving Park Road, which is a major thoroughfare, but it's just not in, you know, it's definitely not an A or probably not even a B location. There's not a lot of, lot of other, it's not next to a Starbucks or a Panera or McDonald's, put it that way. You know, there's okay. just a lot, lot, not a lot going on right there in Wooddale where we're at. I mean, what we had is the name Sweet Baby Ray's. And when we opened, we had a lot of traffic just from the hubbub about a barbecue. And I'll tell you this. When we opened, barbecue was not a big deal outside of the South. And we were one of the first restaurants. I bet if you looked at like a graph of barbecue restaurants in Chicago and yeah. – and it started when we opened in 2005. It's probably exponentially higher now. I mean, there's yeah, so barbecue many. got really cool. Yeah. Barbecue got really cool really and, quick. And we were like on on the early side of that, which which definitely helped us. And people came to us, and we have these like quarter sheet pans as our trays, like that you eat off of. And and yeah. now if you go to um, half of the barbecue restaurants in Chicago, people are using it. And then we, you know, I'm not going to take total credit for it, but we started that trend in a way. And, and a lot of people yep. are using that now. Um, but we were kind of on the early side of that. That helped us being still being in the wrong location. The name helped us. We had great food that helped us. But um, it's still, it was really tough for us to get nighttime business. Lunch, we were good because of the industry that was around us and stuff like that. But yeah. it, it, you know, that's another reason why we had to focus on catering because we just weren't getting the revenue. And we definitely, definitely needed to take a page out of your book about like kind of 
having your plan before you go forward. You know, that was not in the cards for us. We were like, we're so, going to open Sweet Baby Ray's and it's going to be awesome because we're Sweet Baby Ray's. And that wasn't yeah, the case. <laughs> it's going to be awesome because <laughs> the name's awesome and we're yeah. awesome. So yeah. then talk to me about that. How long did it take you to, I mean, I talk a lot about profitability and um, that's the whole thing, right? We do everything to drive towards the bottom line. If the bottom line doesn't make sense. And I don't care what, what else makes sense. So how long did it take you to be profitable? We opened in 2005 and the first year we were profitable was 2010. Oh. Yep. And it took Whoa, a long time. That's a long five years. Now think of it though it's a little different for our our scenario because dave was flush with cash because he sold the sauce business so so there we we took more liberties and and less precautions than most people would have because he had deep pockets so to speak but we're not in that case anymore i mean we're not taking any more money out of dave and kathy's pocket it's the business is the business and we're we are where we are right now having said that okay go ahead yeah, no, sorry to interrupt you. So, okay, so you're right. You you can say, hey, we had um, uh, we were flush with capital. We mm-hmm. had somebody who was willing to keep putting in to keep it afloat because the, I assume because he believed in it and said, hey, we're, we're getting closer. There. We're getting mm-hmm. closer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so okay, we're we're getting closer. We're getting closer. Was it a huge loss in the beginning, and you sort of kept cutting that loss year by year, and so you could see a trend or what? It was kept him believing. I mean, there was always opportunities every year. I mean, and it's still that way to this day. There, you know, growth with the the catering business kind of kept us going. So we opened in 2005. And there's a lot that happened in those first five years, too. We opened in 2005. In 2007, they opened a larger restaurant that I wasn't really a part of, the Sweet Baby Ray's in Elk Grove Village, which was a 236-seat restaurant. And that was kind of that was run as a separate business with my uncle and his business partner. And then in 2008, well, no, in 2010 is when we bought True Cuisine and started building this whole catering kitchen right across from the little rest the first restaurant in Wooddale. So a lot of things were going on at the same time. And the books weren't exactly clear. We had someone really strict on the books. And I wasn't as as involved on that side of it at that time. I was more yep. like in the kitchen, head down, chopping onions and grilling ribs, you know. So but So but there was a there was a moment of like, hey, there's something here. We can do this. And obviously cared enough to to double down for sure and open another location and then push the catering arm you buy another catering company to sort of let's talk about that in a second but so Mm -hmm. there was like there was belief in the in the vision of that there was total belief and we had a lot of good people working for us it was not just me and my uncle by any means we had an executive chef we had a director of operation a director of sales we we were running the you know pushing this like a legit, you know, restaurant arm and catering arm, and we had salaries behind it, and that's a big reason we lost money too, is because we invested in people, and sure, you know, it it took us a long time, and then there's still years after 2010. It's not like we were just making more money every year. There was years we still lost money after that until, you know, 2021. I think I feel like now things are a little more stable, and we're going to be steady and uh. uh a very good profit margin going forward. Today's episode of Restaurant Strategy is also brought to you by Seven Shifts. 
Seven Chefs is a team management platform built specifically for restaurants. Great restaurants are built by great teams, and Seven Shifts is your secret weapon to better understand your restaurant, hit labor targets, and keep your entire team connected. With drag-and-drop scheduling, in-app communication, task management, tip management, and more, it makes restaurant work a lot easier. From back of the house to front of house, managers, franchise owners, and large corporate teams, Seven Shifts has benefits at every single level. Plus, it integrates with the other systems your restaurant already uses, like POS and payroll. Turn your team into your competitive advantage. Restaurant Strategy Podcast listeners also get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash restaurant strategy. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash restaurant strategy to get three months absolutely free and join over 30,000 restaurants currently using Seven Shifts today. So at what point in those, I assume in those early years, did you stumble upon catering or did you know that that was going to be a significant uh, revenue stream? Um, Yeah, it was the early years when people started reaching out and it was when we really found like the corporate catering sector where we were could cater for 500 people or a thousand people. And, you know, there was really decent margins there. And now it's even... It's even better now because I've learned so much, we've learned so much, and we have systems in place, and we have a P&L structure where we cost out every single full-service menu where we know going into it if we're going to be profitable on that particular event or not. And yep. it's um, it's really easy to make decisions when it's black and white. <laughs> you know, if, if we're not going to make money on it, it doesn't make sense to do it, you know. Let's repeat that. Black and white. It's right or wrong. It's over budget or under budget. It's it's profitable or it's not profitable. I I can't overstate that. I'm so glad you said that. It becomes really easy to let make me, your decisions when you're really thing. clear. Yeah. Yeah. Please. One thing that that I feel like restaurants get in trouble with, and there's I'm sure you've heard of it, Fuda and Food Works. Um, they're it's a pretty much a group that wants you to vend at a certain um building down in cities they have it have you heard of that before fuda no okay no go ahead so it's a company that got started where this guy saw that there was an issue with all these people leaving the office buildings to go get food and it was taking too much time and the the people that owned the business wanted the people to stay and a lot of times the people wanted to stay but there was no place to eat so basically yep. what happens is fuda kind of contracts other restaurants to come set up a station in the lobby where they vend food sell food and then you know it's just like almost almost like having a mini food truck you go downtown you set up your station and they know about how many people are going to be there but that's about it so we got sucked into that whole situation and by the time you figure in uh waste and travel time and employees and food costs and everything else there was no way we were making money and that they um they said well you should think about it as a marketing expense and i said no (laughs) we're losing money like crazy and we were doing we 
you know, we were, I mean, at one point we were bringing in over $300,000 a year from this, but we were still losing money from it. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's like things like that we've learned so much about and that I just don't do it. If it doesn't make us money to the bottom line, I don't do it anymore. And it a lot of times it's hard to say no. We have a minimum to go down to the city for catering. It's over $600. Well, they're nice people, and it's a $400 order. I'm sorry. We just can't do it for less than $600. You know, we don't yep. make money. Yep. We have to pay for the truck. We have to pay for the employee. We have to pay for the food. And by the time it comes back, it it's just doesn't make sense, you know. And So, it's, obviously, you were unprofitable for a little while. I mean, you're speaking from experience. What you're saying is mm. not like, this is what I believe. This is this is what I have learned. Um, mm -hmm. Talk to me about how else you learned that, because you did the, the FUDA, and mm -hmm. you threw yourself into it if you're generating that kind of revenue, and you mm -hmm. obviously learned the hard way. So now you've got a barometer that you, that you use to decide whether, yes, we're gonna do this, or no, we're not gonna do this. Ta mm -hmm. Talk to me about about that because I love this that you're that you're um, laser focused on the bottom line. Talk to me about how else that came to be and, and how else that sort of manifests itself in other parts of the business. I mean, basically, so once in 2007, there's a whole nother side of the like the story that I didn't tell you about it in 2016. We purchased a full event planning company called Meeting House. And that was the biggest debacle of them all, where we lost <laughs> money, we got sued by the original owners, it was bad, bad, bad. It took my focus away from the catering business because I'm trying to figure out how to do lighting and floral and all this stuff that the meeting house did and run a We were going to be a one-stop shop for all big events, sure. you know, and, yeah. and that just did not go good for many reasons. But it took my focus away. After that, I had no choice. It was like, we have to be profitable or we're out of business, you know? And right. and I think, to me, that's almost, a, it was a curse, but it was a blessing in a way because it, you don't really learn a lot until your back is against the wall. At least yep. that's the way it for me is. And so, so now we're to the point we were you know, really heavily focused on the bottom line in 17, 18, and, and then 19 came, and we had an awesome year, our best year ever in, in catering sales. We still didn't make any, like, didn't make that much money, but we were there. I could feel it. And 2020 came, we had so much booked, we had, were, like, ready to rock and roll, like, like I was so stoked about what was going to happen in 2020. Yeah. We had more weddings on the books than we ever had. We had we were just on a roll. And then I knew March 28th I was at a wedding, 250 people the, down in the city. The place was rocking, and all this was going to crumble around us. And it was like yeah. so eerie leaving that wedding, knowing that it's it's not going to be the same anymore. And uh, you know, fortunately. We got to keep our restaurant open because, you know, you talked about having other revenue streams and my big revenue stream was completely closed because there was no catering yeah. at all. And, right, right. But we got to keep the restaurant open and I put my head down and I made it lean and it was basically me and three other guys at that restaurant. I was washing dishes, yeah. cooking, doing whatever, putting a stack away. I was so grateful to have a job, but, you know, 
a little PPP money, a little ERC money, and you know we're off to the races. And you know, unfortunately, some places went out of business. The Elk Grove restaurant, the Sweet Baby Race restaurant in Elk Grove went out of business. Mm-hmm. That you know affects us positively because some of that customer base is coming to us. Some of that catering yeah. business is coming to us, and you know. We've just been we've been on a roll since we started opening up catering in twenty one probably you know in May or yeah May it really started in twenty twenty one and and we're not looking back I'm going full steam ahead yeah so uh, so catering I think uh, represents such a huge opportunity for so many brands out there mm-hmm. talk to me about how you grew because you grew it in a really interesting way. Um, you also bought this other company, mm-hmm. um, which is a totally different brand. You just happened to run that mm-hmm. as well. Talk to me about how they work. How I assume they sort of run parallel to each other. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about what that company is, and talk to me about the relationship between the two companies and and how mm-hmm. it all how it all fits in and makes sense. Well, we're lucky to have um, a great team. Of course, and we have a sales team that they know there's two brands. They can sell both brands. Um, what's really cool about True Cuisine, so True, I don't even think I told that whole story. So we bought True Cuisine. They were a boutique caterer in Wheaton, Illinois, and more on the upscale side, Sweet Baby raises obviously down-home barbecue, and we bought True Cuisine to kind of speed up our learning curve in catering as we saw there was an opportunity there. Um and now as i look back i see it as a good decision when it was kind of all coming about i wasn't sure what to think about having two separate bands brands for the the business um but right but now i think it's a positive i know it's a positive i think you know a true cuisine client is not the same as a sweet baby raised client and vice versa and we know there's a bride that wants a true cuisine wedding which is kind of higher end more fancy elegant elegated uh, I can't talk. <laughs> Elevated or elegant. <laughs> and then there's a, somebody that wants barbecue. Now, having said that, there's some fancy brides that want barbecue because it's on trend. You know, so there is yeah. a little bit of crossover there. But anyways. But for the most part, yeah. somebody who comes to one is looking for one sort of, it's one kind of customer is looking for one sort of experience. And the other kind of customer is looking for another kind of experience. This is how we position a brand in the marketplace. I talk a lot about this on the show, right? They're not all your they're not all your customers. They could be, to your point, they could want something because it's trendy mm-hmm. and on all of that. But for the most part, if this bride wants this kind of wedding, they're going to go get that kind of wedding. And right. alternately, on, on, the, on the flip side, that's also true. Talk to me about, you said, we bought this company, and you've said it now a couple of times because we wanted to speed up our learning curve. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that. What what did you learn? Well, so faster than you would have learned otherwise. Catering is such a is full service catering is a whole different ball of wax than restaurants or just dropping off uh, aluminum pans to somebody's house. Full service catering, talking about bars with bartenders, uh, we call them event directors, which is kind of the leader of the whole event. You have servers, server captains, porters, renting flatware, renting. Uh, linens for the tables sometimes renting the tables and the chairs themselves knowing what venues to cater at it's a whole different ball of wax and we learned so much from the people that started true cuisine and and the people that work there and now they a lot of them still work for me today but i mean 
if you're a catering salesperson, you know exactly what size linens goes on a six foot table. It's you know 192 by the girls in the office would laugh at me because I don't even know exactly, but <laughs> but it's like they know you know. And if you have a party for a, they know the business. Yeah, if you have a if you have a party for a hundred, you know you need a hundred and ten forks because you know so many fall on the floor and blah blah blah. It's like there's you know there's so much stuff that you just need to learn and then we've learned we learned some from you know that process with true cuisine and then we've learned just a ton by being in the business for this many years and that's some of the stuff uncle dave talks to me about is like you know the longer we stay in business the better opportunity we're going to have to be successful because we're going to know more and learn and continue to learn and we're going to have better relationships with our venues better relationships with our vendors better relationships with our clients and it's so true i mean i see it every day is is it doesn't get easier but it gets maybe less painful is the right term, you know, just because yeah. you've been doing it, you see it. And I can't, can't remember who says it, but it's like you start seeing, um, you know, cycles. You've seen this before, you know, Tony Robbins, what does he say? It's like you start seeing the same thing over and over again. It starts becoming easier, yeah. you know. If you do what you've always done, you get what you've always gotten. And so that's what he always says. So yeah, I love this. I, I want to go back again, to that difficult time of 05 to 2010. Mm -hmm. And you have to keep going. You keep dipping into the well because it's losing money and you keep dipping into the well to keep it afloat. Was there a point, I don't know if you could think back there, was there a point when you were like, maybe this isn't going to work. Maybe I'll just throw in the towel. Maybe I'll go do something else. So you have to think, I was I was still you know, in culinary, I, I graduated culinary school in 2005. So I was fresh out of school and there was, there was other partners, there was an executive chef, there was, you know, many notches above me at that point. So I wasn't like on the P&Ls and on the financial side of things. So I per okay. personally had that feeling I knew we weren't making money, you know, and I knew things were, were tough. I personally had that feeling of maybe this isn't for me. Maybe this is, is too hard or we're not going about it the right way. But, you know, I always came back to there's such an opportunity with the name Sweet Baby Ray's. I'm super passionate about barbecue and food. And there was kind of like I said, there was always opportunity. There was always something new going on. And that kind of like is good for me because – I need to keep on moving and doing the same thing. That's why catering works for me because I I wouldn't be good at the same restaurant doing the same menu, doing the same thing every day. Catering is great because there's always new challenges. You're talking to different people. You're at different venues, different menus. You know everything's kind of moving a lot. Yeah, that's for sure. really good for me and my personality. But for the business, it. It wasn't. It wasn't like you know. If if we lose another hundred thousand, we're going to close the business. That never really was the story, you know. But because we always felt there was an opportunity. There's such a huge opportunity gap, and we had so many. Even though we weren't making a ton of money, there were so many successes along the way too. With you know doing this event in the city called it's the Chase Corporate Challenge, and from 2007 to 2000. 14 we did this chase corporate challenge which was a huge run down in the city it was a you know a, a 5k and all the major corporations were down there and at the the one of the last years we did it we catered for over 55 different organizations at the same time we had 125 
uh, employees down there. It was over $250,000 in revenue. We had gators. We had guys with headsets. We had the whole nine yards. I mean, it's just running a whole orchestra of things going on at the same time. Yeah. And, and that's like catering at the highest level, you know, when you're, when you're trying to manage all that stuff at the same time. And, and that was so interesting to me. And guess what? We didn't make that much money at that thing either yeah. because it's just it's so there was so much cost sunk into it. You know, yeah. we had to rent refrigerated trucks. We had to rent the gators. We had to rent the headsets. We had to, I mean, it was at the end of the day that was, I mean, we did make money, but it wasn't for the amount of effort it was. I'm not doing that again either. So talk to me about how you, how you think about profit. Cause you and I have, um, I think are aligned mm-hmm. in this. Uh, I'm very vocal of saying uh, what we do is way too hard to not to not make money doing mm-hmm. it. And um, I think it's really scary. Um, all the statistics you hear, not the failure rate of restaurants, because that's going to be what it's going to be. But just the profit margin numbers you hear. I you couldn't know, agree with you more. Toast puts out this and says the average restaurant won't make more than five percent. Um, profit margin which is scary thinking you get a really bad weekend one month you go from the black to the red mm-hmm. um so talk to me about how you personally think you're you're obviously nodding your head yeah. uh, people can't see that but you're saying you agree with me talk to me about how you think about profit because you you're obviously as laser focused on the bottom line as i am well you know and my position has changed basically this year where when we realized months you know, not as, not for the entire year, but months where we were 21 and a half percent profitable. And, you know, the problem with catering is it's notoriously slow in the first quarter. And I'm working on kind of figuring out that gap. And I think I will be able to get some headway this year. I'm, that's what I'm focusing on for, for to yeah. really kind of close that gap. But, but from May to December, we're looking at from an 18 to a 20% profit margin, which is outstanding for the amount of volume we do. And yep. But our restaurant yep. is the same. It's about that 5%, you know, and it's, it's really tough to make money at 5%. I don't care what you're doing. It five percent is hard to make money. I hear you. So, so, but it gives me hope. Where we know if we can generate the right, it's, it can't be just sales. It has to be the right sales, because we're looking at P and Ls on every single event to to get to that twenty percent. I mean, that's my target. You know, and and yep. that that lets me pay my employees fair fairly that lets me feel good about what i'm doing and that helps me pay back uncle dave for everything he's put into the business now and yeah for sure and it's um really i can see where there is a path to that 20 percent, and it comes down to knowing what you're selling and making sure it makes sense for your business model because you can't do it just selling everything and and you can't give yep. your stuff away is 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 all all sales aren't good sales so there's the, the there are these famous case studies you read about and hear about the new york times did one a couple of years ago from one of the, the biggest restaurants in uh, new york city one of the you know three michelin stars and it basically says uh, this restaurant has lost money for 
17 straight years or something like that. But it ends up being sort of the centerpiece of a larger portfolio of restaurants. The idea being, hey, this, the flagship can lose money because no spared expense. We're going to get all the best stuff. We're going to have all the best staff. We're going to overpay to get all really great everything. But that being able to have that feather in our cap of saying, hey, we're in, you know, one of the greatest markets in the world and we're three Michelin stars, that allows us to sort of make money on the portfolio um, beyond. So you talked about how your the catering arm now is very, very profitable and you sort of have that all figured out, but that the restaurant is still just sort of making this this modest, this uh, profit mm-hmm. margin. How do you apply the same learnings from catering to the restaurant or do you just think about it in the terms in the same terms as like this fancy Michelin star restaurant and say well the restaurant can be uh, sort of operate at break even because that's our calling card to get the big catering business tell me what mm-hmm. you think about that so I, I really think that's a great point and I kind of am in the middle on it Yes, we need. Okay. We don't need, but it really makes a lot of sense to have a Sweet Baby Ray storefront when when you're talking about the the catering business and and things like that. But basically, I need to do better and branding myself on social media to get more business people in the door. You know, um, it's it's a small restaurant. It's thirty six seats. And we just have to do a better job getting more people in there, getting more revenue in the restaurant to get more profitable. Because everything's dialed in there. I have the, the, the same employees that have been there, I can't make it any leaner. You know, yeah. leaned out the menu, we got the right POS. So it's about growing just straight revenue, just getting more covers in or increasing the spe- the, the guest spend or... How did because it's small? I didn't realize it was that small. Yeah, yeah. So how are you going about that? Do you set goals? Do you work with your managers on that? How are you? How are you actively pursuing that? Right now, I'm trying to do some. I, we talked about this on the phone. We're doing some work with America's Best Restaurant. We're doing some more yeah. Facebook offers and paid ads and trying to get more awareness out there. It sounds ridiculous, but the, everybody knows the sauce, but not that many people know about the restaurant in the Chicagoland area. So that's our big focus on yep. social media is getting the word out there. You know, we don't actually promote the restaurant or promote the catering. We just do barbecue education just to get the name in front of people, you know. So Sweet Baby Catering, and I mean, if you see my our TikTok page, Sweet Baby Catering, we have over 318,000 followers, and I mean, we get tons of impressions, you know, every week it's like millions of views on yep. our stuff, and we do more barbecue education than anything, but... You know, now we're trying to, how can we convert those views into some real dollars? And that's kind of the process of trying to work with ABR and someone that knows more, is a specialist on that side of paid promotions through social, because that's not my area of expertise. But um, so, I mean, to answer your question is, I don't know exactly how. If I did, I wouldn't be talking to you. But we have to get more more people in those doors. And I have to tell you how refreshing it is Mm -hmm. that you said, I don't know. I think that it's something that I learned from uh, one of my mentors a long time ago, how attractive that is in a leader to -hmm. say, I don't know. Because if you're willing to say, I don't know, then you're willing to say, okay, I, I, 
Great, so then where? Who has the answer? Where am I gonna find the answer? You're talking about working with uh, ABR, America's Best Restaurants, mm -hmm. uh, run by a guy named Matt Plapp, who has been a, also a guest on this show. He's a very, very smart guy, um, who mm -hmm. wrote a really great book that we talked about when he was on here. So you're, I, I appreciate that you say, I don't know, I'm not, you know, there's things that I think you can help the audience with because it's sort of the wisdom of, uh, mm -hmm. of experience. Um, and I think there's also something, again, really, um, really helpful about you saying, I don't know. So it's funny, you talk about uh, social media, and I, and I always like to think of social media in two pieces, because there are two pieces to social media. There's organic, mm -hmm. and then there's paid social media. Mm -hmm. And I think for a long, long time, we used them in the wrong ways, right? Mm -hmm. that, that organic was about raising awareness and all that, and it's not, it's not meant for that, it's not what it does well. Famously, the reach is uh, notoriously uh, limited, and they do that on purpose to get mm -hmm. brands to spend money on the platform. What it does well is it um, it's good at keeping you top of mind with mm -hmm. people who are interested in that, and it's good at engagement, right? Staying, mm -hmm. you know, in you know, within a circle, staying in contact with your people. So. Um, so that sort of thing is what organic social media does well. Meaning, I open up the app, I post a photo, or I open up the app, I take a video, I post that to my feed. It's an organic post. The opposite of that, or the other side of social media, is paid social media. And paid social media is where you do thing like, things like drive awareness, or drive conversions, first time visits, through offers, through retargeting, through all of these other tools. Right. Um, and too often, probably because, you know, all these brands got on social media in 2007, 8, 9, and that the name of the game back then is very different than the name of the game now, um, that they do, they do different things. And I think we have to get really clear on what the goal is, right? What are we trying to accomplish? And say, you know, and I coach a lot of my clients on this now, where I say, what are you trying to accomplish? Start with that. I'm trying to raise awareness for my brand. Mm -hmm. then is this specific action helping me accomplish that goal? Well, if I post to my feed, my Instagram feed of 20,000 followers, and it shows my post to roughly 900 people or 1,100 people, which is about mm -hmm. what you'll get, mm -hmm. well, then is that really helping me raise awareness? No, everybody who follows me is already aware of my brand. <laughs> so mm -hmm. if I want to, and it's not even really good at like reaching every one of my followers. You know, it's, it's just a fraction of it. So mm -hmm. if I want to raise awareness, then the answer to that is, no, this is not a tool that can help me accomplish this stated goal of raising awareness. So we stop, we take a step back and we say, okay, but what can do that? What tools are available to me to help me raise awareness for my brand? And when you start doing that, it changes the whole game. Is this accomplishing the goal I set out to accomplish? And it lets you be, it's that black and white. It's like you said, mm -hmm. it helps you see things really clearly if you just, if you get really good at asking the right questions. Something I learned from business school. Uh, one of my favorite professors when I was, um, when I was at St. Joe's said, hey, you know how you get better answers? You start by asking better questions. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to have all the answers. I guess this is where I'm coming all the way around to you, mm -hmm. is that I don't know is a really powerful place to begin from. Mm -hmm. because then it allows you to say, well, great, but let me, let me figure out the answer. So what's the question? What's the right question I should be a asking? Which mm -hmm. um, I hope everybody at, at home 
sort of takes that. If there's nothing else you take from this, it's it's just how that powerful the whole hour worthwhile. Can be. Now I can ask yeah. the right questions. <laughs> yeah, listen, you get better answers by asking better questions, and so you yep. can't ask good questions if you think you know it all. Mm-hmm. And, and anyone who's gotten to where they are, right? I feel this way. I'm sure you feel this way. A lot of the people I talk to got where they are because I think we're curious. Uh, we've become really good and experienced and knowledgeable about what we are, right? We're passionate and driven and and skilled, right? Like we, we've got wisdom in our area. Yep. And it's okay to say, but I don't have wisdom in these other areas. Or my wisdom has come to a dead end. Everything I know about this subject I've exhausted. I don't know what else to do. Um, And we're living at a time when we can just get so much free information, uh, so much resources. You can get access, even even if you have to pay for that access. It's never been easier to get access to to people who do have other answers. I'm constantly learning, reading, listening to podcasts, seeking out uh, coaches on my own, things like that, because it just helps me be better. My my coach changed my life two years ago. Um, The woman that I work with now that I partner with, um, who handles all my marketing, has helped me grow me, my personal business in unimaginable ways has changed my life in such a profound way, which is sort of like a whole different podcast I should start. Um, And I think it begins by saying, I don't know. Somebody else knows more than I do. That's awesome. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And and that's one thing that I'm always working on, too. I mean, same thing as you. I'm always listening to a podcast. I'm trying to start reading more, which I always said I wasn't a reader. And this year, I've already read three books, and that's a big deal for me. You know, so I'm, I'm excited to keep going down that path. I mean, it's uh, business is exciting, you know, and I'm never I haven't been more excited than I am right now to be in business. And, and uh, I want to keep getting better and keep learning from guys like you. I was going to say something when we started the podcast, like I never want to be the smartest guy in the room. And I know I'm not today yeah. or something like that. Because because yeah. <laughs> listen, listening to you, listening to your message online is just you, you have so much knowledge and you just present it in such a insightful way. So I want to say thank you for that. Oh, thank you. Uh, listen, thank you. I, I appreciate that. There's stuff that I learned the hard way, there's stuff that I figured out that I've distilled down and I found an easy way to think about it. And if things are too complicated, we just won't do them. That's why nobody does math or science or medicine because it's hard. Mm -hmm. But when we're talking about business, there's just a threshold we have to get over to be able to be successful at what we care very deeply about. Mm-hmm. And I know people listening to this will understand that. I'm really deeply passionate about cooking, about this kind of cuisine, about uh, opening a restaurant in my in my neighborhood, in my town, in my market. There's People feel that. And so let's just give people the frameworks, the structures, the basic systems to be able to not only survive, but thrive in whatever it is they want to do. I hate math. I'm notoriously terrible at math. When I went back to school, and you know, back to business school, my first class back was a statistics class. I was so scared, and I decided to do it in a seminar format, which was mm-hmm. basically three days thrown at me, like three nine-hour days, and, I, and I'm not good at math, and that is like math math. That's real math. That's not recipe costing, measuring out grams, and figuring yeah. out yields, but statistics is like, like p-values and stuff. I still wake up shaking when I think mm-hmm. about it, but... 
I needed that to be able to do projections and to understand how we build a regression and how we figure out what we're going to do in revenue next month. Right, We can make that as complicated or as simple as we want, but mm -hmm. coming up with a projection allows us to build a budget so that we can make our money. That's how we make a set profit every single month. We say, well, if I'm going to make this much money and I want my labor to be at 30%, then I already know before I start the month where I need to hit my revenue and where I need to, you know, where my weekly uh, schedule needs to be at, what my mm -hmm. payroll burden has to be at. That's how we make money. Same thing with COGS, right? If I'm mm -hmm. going to make $100,000 in revenue next month, I know I can't spend more than $30,000 on my food and beverage, everything I'm bringing in to turn around and sell. It's, it, and I take great pride in being able to just simplify um, what people pretend is really complicated, and it's not. It's not that complicated. There's a pie. We cut that into 100 pieces. If you want some left over, let's say 20 pieces at the end, right? 20 points, 20% 20 profit margin. Mm -hmm. Well, then we got to keep all of our expenses to 80% of revenue. It's just so easy, which you figured out on the catering side. Yeah, and now I'm we're working to figure it out that. on the restaurant side. Can I, can I ask you, run something by you? What do you think about this? So one of the books I read this year was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And he talked, he talks highly about owning a business and that business, you don't, create yourself a job in that business the business is to run and to make money for you to do other investments or to do what you want in it how do you talk to people because i'm sure 90 percent of you the people you talk to are in the business working in the business and running the business how that's right I, i'm starting to work my way out of that day-to-day -day business and i'm kind of like 50 percent there maybe even a little better than that but but I don't think, and I think as the business is bigger, it's even more important that you don't have a day-to-day -day job in that, so you can oversee and manage, you know, larger issues as they come up. What do you? How do you feel about that? So, in our industry, we've got a word for that, right? You're an owner-operator, mm -hmm. which means you own it and operate it. I always love when people tell me. I said, hey, you know, one of the first questions I always ask when I um, when I'm talking to a prospective new client. I said, last year, what did you top line? And then what did you bottom line? Meaning, what was net sales? You know, mm -hmm. gross sales, but net of uh, sales tax, right? Mm -hmm. What's your top line revenue? And then after all your expenses, what came out of the bottom? What did you take home? They say, well, it wasn't very much, but you know, but I get a salary and my, and my partner gets a salary and all this. And I said, do you work at the restaurant? And they say, yeah. And I said, well, then you're a manager. You should be paid. You're working at the place. And if we take you out of the business, you're gonna to need to hire someone to replace you. So you're gonna to have to pay them what you're paying yourself currently. It's, mm -hmm. an, it's an owner it's an owner operator. I think it's the most dangerous thing out there. Because if you get hit by a bus, right? If the success of your business, let's say, is determined on your ability to show up, mm -hmm. if you get hit by a bus, your business is done. The mm -hmm. guests who uh, count on you to create food, to make food for them, the staff who rely on those jobs, your family who relies on you to provide for them, right? If you can't go in and the restaurant can't open, there are a whole bunch of stakeholders that, um, that lose really big if you don't show up. So I always say I think it's irresponsible and dangerous 
to do that. Now, we do that in the beginning. We can do that for a while because that's what's required, right? Mm -hmm. We do what we have to do to get it up and running, but that's not a long-term plan. And so I think you do have to build a business that can run itself, that shakes a little bit of profit, that pays you or use you use that to invest in the next location or the next venture or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's that rich dad, poor dad mentality. And I, I was raised with the poor dad mentality, right? You work hard, you get a good job, you work at that job, you you know, good, honest work. It's just and it's just nothing like I thought it was was supposed to be. I thought the harder I worked, the better it and then that 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 time I was talking about where I kind of figured like this might not be for me because it's the, the yeah. harder I'm working is like I'm not even getting any further along. And uh I just can't tell you how, how good it makes me hear you feel the same way about that because I it's clear to me now that that is the right way. I always say this, right? I always say restaurant owners deserve a restaurant that works as hard as they do. And in order to do that, we just have to work smarter, right? That mm-hmm. to work as hard as we do for 3% profit margins, right? It's just, it, it's, uh, that's, that would defeat me every single day. And I think it does, I, I, I gotta believe that that resonates with a lot of people listening. There is a different way. It's about building a path to profitability. You look on paper mm-hmm. and say, hey, I got a million dollar restaurant, $1.2 million, right? The average restaurant in America is something like one you know, million to a million and a half. So let's say $1.2 million, that's $100,000 a month in revenue. You deserve 20% profit margin. You, whoever's listening to this, you deserve 20% profit margin, which means you deserve to make $20,000 in profit every single month you do the hard work you created something that people want that people love mm-hmm. you're creating jobs which is allowing people to support their families and all of that and hopefully you're teaching them how to go create a business and they will outgrow you and go create their own businesses and, and all of that but if you've got a business that generates a hundred thousand dollars in revenue you deserve twenty thousand dollars a month and i always get people going like oh i'd be okay with seven of course but you deserve 20. So figure Mm -hmm. out what are the things, what are the high value things that only you can do and delegate everything else, offload everything else. And it doesn't have to happen overnight. You can slowly offload that, right? Who's going to do the schedules? Who does the ordering? Who does inventory? Who trains? Who All the things that you need to offload so that you can focus on growing your catering business. You can focus on new revenue streams. You can focus on you fill in the blank, whatever else you, only you can think about. Yeah. Only only you're going to be able to wrap your mind around. I just, I wish, it's the, again, we got to work smarter, not harder. We got to be able to work on our business, not just in our business. Because everybody I know, and I did it for a long time, I spent a big chunk of my career uh, working 60, 70, 80 plus hour work weeks. I opened eight restaurants in nine years. I, I know all about hard mm-hmm. work. And when you're working that much, you're too tired to do anything. You're certainly too tired to be creative or think outside the box. And I just want people to create space to think for the, to think outside the box, to go, well, what if, right? I always talk about that thought experiment. Let's wander down this avenue and see if there's something worth exploring down here. And you need the time and the space to be able to do that. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm pretty, I'm good in the restaurant where I'm not there. I don't do anything day to day in the restaurant. But I do some yep. in the catering. I mean, it could probably go without me, but 
I make a lot of decisions on the on the higher end, the the HR type decisions, and you know, the salespeople come to me all the time with different questions. Can I sell this? Can I do that? And basically, the the answer is, are we profitable doing it that way? You know, and but I I mean I'm yep. here every day from from eight to five pretty much, and I but I enjoy it too, and and we're not quite. That's the yeah. key. I want you to be, right, and so this is, I say this to all my clients, I want you to be where you want to mm-hmm. be. I don't want you to have to be on the line, right? If yeah. the restaurant can't survive without you being on the line, and there are a lot of restaurants out there, I think that's what's dangerous and irresponsible. Yeah. I want you to be able to take yourself out of the operation. I say you, not just mm-hmm. you, but everybody mm-hmm. listening. Take yourself out of the operation to the point where you don't have to be there. And then you put yourself back in wherever you want to be. That makes sense. And that's the big that difference. Makes sense. It, that's the big difference. So talk to me because we got a few more minutes left and, and I know you gotta go. I've just I love this conversation. What's the hardest lesson you've learned since the pandemic? And uh, yeah, listen, I know we've all been through hell and back over the last three years, but What's something, as much as you learned in your formal education mm-hmm. and your sort of experiential education, what's still something that you were like, man, I didn't. I learned that lesson the hard way. What's something that really came out of the pandemic? I mean, I, I think it comes back to, you know, building the menu the right, the right way. It's, it really blows my mind when I look back and think about all the stuff we had on the menu. And was it all great? Yeah, it was the best New Orleans-style barbecue shrimp you could have. But nobody bought it, so we were throwing trip away. You know, I mean, that's kind of that's make, dumbing it down. Yeah. But and I seriously meant what I said. Our restaurant would be more successful if we just opened with pulled pork and we didn't have anything else on the menu. And I believe that to my. So court. is that if you were to open this restaurant, it, if you were to open this restaurant today, the restaurant didn't exist. Yeah, it would have three today, items. That's what it you would. Learned. It would have three yeah. items and two sides. Three, three meats and two sides, and awesome. that's it, 100%. And I think we would be way more successful because the meat would be fresher. The sides would be perfect every time. We wouldn't have to worry about juggling everything else. And the people, you know what they, guess what people come to Sweet Baby Ray's and order? What do you think they, What's barbecue. That? They don't order, they don't order yeah. crab cakes, and they don't order a Cubano sandwich, yeah. and they don't order Greek-style green beans. They order barbecue because that's why they're going to sweet baby race and we had all this stuff on the menu and uh and it's hard like you've talked to a thousand clients when you tell yeah. them to trim down the menu we could never take the jerk chicken off johnny comes every tuesday yeah. how are we going to take the jerk chicken off and and it's like <laughs> after the first week nobody cares you know so just take yeah. everything off your menu except for the stars you know and yeah uh, i'm so glad you said that i i think that's i heard i've talked to a lot of people who have learned that lesson over the pandemic mm-hmm. and i've talked to a lot of people who are resisting that lesson um i love i love that you're saying it i could not agree more yeah and they i think uh we'd all learn a lot from places like Chipotle, you know, I mean, that's as, as basic as it gets, you know, a couple meats, a couple ways to have they it. They do what they do it. and they do it really well. That's it. And yeah, they do what they do and they do it really well. And we know if we're going to Chipotle, we're going for this, this little box. It, yep. They they don't do anything, you know, I always joke around, I say, listen, we're never going to out Cheesecake Factory, the Cheesecake Factory. Like, look, we're never going to outdo them. So don't even, don't even try. Don't try. It's sort of like a, 
it's like a garish, you know, example of trying to be all things to all people. But we can do the three three proteins, two sides, and crush it. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's kind of the culture now. I'm gonna go get the best Italian beef in the world, and that's yes. where I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go get the best cheesecake, and they have it over here. And I'm gonna go get the best yeah. hamburger. I yeah. saw it on TikTok. It's right here. That's the only place to have a hamburger. Yeah, you know. And that's the culture that we live in too. So, so I think there's so yeah. much. So how do said. you think about that? Cause I think that's a really great thing. So if somebody said, Oh, I've got to get the best, what are they coming to you to get? I mean, what, everybody, that, that experience they're collecting. I mean, by and large, Sweet Baby Ray's is known for ribs. I mean, people say Sweet Baby Ribs. Ribs and Sweet Baby Ray's are like synonymous. They go together. So yeah. ribs, ribs, but you know, ribs are expensive. So pulled pork is a great second. And now, we're really strong with brisket where brisket when we first opened the restaurant people didn't even know what brisket was up here you know what i mean but barbecue education has come full circle no one knew what a smoke ring was everyone thought our chicken was undercooked and our ribs were undercooked because they were pink with the smoke ring it was a big learning curve in the beginning with barbecue up north and uh it's you know (laughs) I, I feel like I've told you like my whole life story, but over... I uh, love it. It's the uh, best uh, part about this show. I, I've le- it's the best part about what I do. I've learned so much in this industry, and we're still learning, and I feel like we're in a really good spot right now um, to move forward with everything, and I just, just got to stay focused on the black and white like we talked about what makes sense yep. and what doesn't make sense and and if that's kind of the guiding factor i know yeah. that that's the right decision for my family for the, our employees and for the business you know it's it's so true um listen uh you got an audience full of owners operators managers marketers people who are you know were born and raised in this industry making their life in this industry any last words of wisdom you want to share with them um I would say ask for help. Like, I would say ask for help. And that's something that I've talked about with Sean a lot. And I don't have all the answers. And and I'm always learning. And I, you know, like I said before, I, I read, I listen to podcasts. I talk to guys like you. You know, I'm <laughs> always look, looking for that next, that next stage. How can I get just a little bit better and, and yeah. make a couple less mistakes and, and, try to do the best that we can and and that's all we do and and give back you know you're never going to get anywhere trying to think you can do it all yourself or take everything for yourself yeah i've learned that along the way your employees your friends your family they are going to help and support you you have to give back to them as much as you can too yeah for sure listen i think that's a great place to end it uh i appreciate you taking time out of uh, what i imagine is a very very busy day uh we're gonna include all the links that you talked about today your social media handles all of that anything else any other link you want us to include uh places you want to send people to learn more about uh you the restaurant the catering uh sbrbbq.com you can go see all that's kind of a landing page for all of our websites true cuisine sweet baby rays deuces wild and then at uh, Sweet Baby Ray's Catering on all Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, you can see all our stuff there. We do a barbecue show on TikTok weekly every Friday. Barbecue like a boss. If you want to learn some fun tips and tricks with barbecue, that's a good place to go. I love it. My neighbor just across the street just bought a new smoker, and he's like, "You're in food. How do I smoke? How do I do?" And he's t- and I said, "I don't know." 
but I'm going to get you a bunch of recipes and I'm going to find some uh, some smart people to get your recipe. There you go. So I'm under immense pressure to come up with these recipes so I can tell him how to uh, smoke brisket in his backyard. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) He's going to. Guinea pig his family with <laughs> this guy's really this gets really good and handy uh, I I trust him but yeah and I've uh, I've promised to be a guinea pig as well because that's the best part about what I that's do. awesome listen uh, I appreciate you being here taking time out of your day uh, thank you so much again we'll include all those links uh, really appreciate it my man all right take care thanks Chip thank you. Once again, I want to thank Deuce for taking time out of his day to sit and chat with us. All of the links are in the show notes. And remember, in the show notes, you will also find the link to sign up for the webinar this week. I'm giving this webinar two times only. It's an hour-long webinar on January 24th and January 25th. We are capping each of those rooms at 100 people. So go ahead, sign up, secure your spot now. Totally free, but space is limited. Teaching you all about my five-step framework for marketing your restaurant the right way, promise you tons of actionable insights in that webinar. Go sign up again. Link is in the show notes. Appreciate you being here. I will see you next time.